are you all doing? Um, I couldn't help but thank Josh <clears throat> when you were talking about the chicken that's going to be served. Is it the picnic when they're doing that? Becky reminded me of, of this. You don't want me to tell this story? <laughs> it may be too late now. <clears throat> we were in Panama. Um, we were at, uh, there was a, attached to the hotel was a big mall that had some, had a food court in it, and Becky and I arrived whatever day, we were starved, and so we went out, and <clears throat> we were told that, you know, most people spoke English, or 94% of the people there spoke English. We found the 6% that didn't speak English. <clears throat> and so, um, I went out, I was trying to order something, and I went to KFC right there, and the, the young lady was, didn't speak English and didn't want to wait on somebody who did, and... Um, so it, it, it appeared, so we were trying to, finally I was trying to talk in my Spanglish, which is not very good, and um, I, <clears throat> I said, finally I looked up and pointed, I said, um, el combo pollo, pretty impressive, don't you think? <laughs> and um, so she said, oh, okay, you want a chicken combo, I mean, well, she's, so I said, yeah, I was trying, and I, then I mistakenly tried to ask her what pieces of chicken come in the combo. And so, let me just tell you that it re we reverted to sign language, okay? <clears throat> and I will let your imagination fill in the rest. <clears throat> okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. <clears throat> so, who says I can't speak Spanish? I did a great job. Be sure that you um, are here next Sunday to hear Tony Campolo. We're very privileged as a church to um, have this gentleman be our guest. He's a, a world-class communicator of the gospel, and it's a rare privilege for us to have him. So uh, you'll want to be sure to be in our 1030 service next Sunday morning when he is here. <clears throat> also, I know that uh, Becky would like all the women to sign up for the Mother's Day event, the banquet that will take place. I'm sure they have someone signing up at the Connection Center today after the service. So ladies, please sign up. Uh, Arthelene Rippey, who's coming, is a, is a friend of ours and a, a lady for whom we have, Becky and I have enormous respect. And you will be um, quite moved by her testimony. She's really quite an amazing, an amazing lady. <clears throat> um, most of you know who Joseph of Arimathea is, who was part of the story of what we know as the uh, crucifixion story. He was a very wealthy Pharisee, a member of the council. He was a secret follower of Jesus. It was Joseph who went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body after the crucifixion. It was Joseph who supplied the tomb for Jesus' burial. Well, it seems that someone pulled him aside and said, Joseph, that was such a beautiful, costly, hand-hewn tomb. Why on earth did you give it to someone else to be buried in? And Joseph simply smiled and he said, why not? He only needed it for the weekend. <laughs> also, there was a, a Muslim in Africa who became a Christian and some of his friends asked him, why, why have you made this conversion from becoming a Muslim to becoming a Christian? And he answered, well, it's, it's like this. Suppose you were going down 
the road and suddenly the, ro the road forked and went in two directions and you didn't know which way to go. And there at the fork were two men, one who was dead and one who was alive. Which one would you listen to? <clears throat> How am I doing so far? <laughs> no, 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 please. There was a man who went on vacation to the Holy Land with his wife and her mother. So while in Israel, the mother-in-law passed away from a heart attack. The couple went to a local undertaker who explained that they could either ship the body home, which would cost more than $1,500, or they could bury her right there in the Holy Land for $150. The man said quickly, without even thinking about it, we'll ship her home. And surprised, the undertaker responded, are you sure? That's an awfully big expense and we do a very nice burial here. And the man said, look, 2,000 years ago they buried a guy here and three days later he rose from the dead. I just can't take the chance, he said. <clears throat> Hallelujah. <clears throat> And I can tell that story because I had the sweetest mother-in-law in the world. I really do. <clears throat> yeah. So, Jerry, my joke's going to get the applause, but you do. I don't understand that, but that's, that's great. I did have someone come into my office uh, recently to complain about Pastor Brent and uh, the tunes that he selects. <clears throat> they feel like um, his list of tunes is, is way too short. It seems to them like he just repeats the same thing over and over and over, and uh, they, were, they were wanting to lodge that complaint uh, with me. They said, it just seems like every time that we come to church, he's singing the same thing. In fact, we can tell you what the two songs are. Every time that we come, he's either singing, up from the grave he arose, or away in a manger. <laughs> you don't get it, do you? We'll explain it a little bit later, okay? <clears throat> Means they only came at Christmas and Easter, okay. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday, and we declared it to be a day of praise, and what a day of praise it was. Well, we're making another declaration today because today is Easter Sunday, and guess what? We're declaring today to be a day of praise because He is risen, hallelujah. <clears throat> If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, John chapter 21, where we're going to read in just a moment the first 14 verses. This is the story about the third appearance of Jesus to His disciples after His resurrection. And this is a fishing story. How many fishermen do we have in the room today, or fisherwomen? Any, any of you who like to fish? I have a fishing story as well. Uh, I don't have a lot of fishing stories, but I have this one. Uh, I remember the first time that I went, it was with my sister. I was probably, uh, I think, eight or nine years old, something like that. My sister and I went fishing on the pond of a gentleman who went to our church. My dad was a pastor, and he let us come out to enjoy his fishing pond for uh, an afternoon, and he was going to teach us how to fish, and he had a bucket full of big worms, and he taught us how to put the big worm on the hook. And so my sister got hers put on, and I got mine put on, and he left to um, go back to the house for just a moment. He said, I'll be back in a few minutes, and taught us how to cast the line into the water. <clears throat> and so my sister did that. She was going to cast her, her, her pole, her line into the water, and she did this. 
and I was standing behind her, and she kept doing this and kept doing this until I finally screamed and said, you've got me. And the hook was caught right inside, right here. And so she felt horrible about it and, you know, and, and saw the blood dripping out and all that stuff. And she came out and, and she was saying, oh, don't tell mom and dad, you know, and she was all nervous and she got the hook out of my mouth and she said, what happened to the worm? <laughs> oh, that was what I swallowed. <laughs> yeah, it actually happened. <clears throat> well, there's my one fishing story, folks, that's it. John 21. <clears throat> When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to some women at the tomb. We know he appeared later to some of the disciples in a room, but they were not all there. The 12 were not there. We know Judas was not there because the 12 had become 11. But even when Jesus made this appearance, one of the 11 was not there. It was Thomas who was not there at that time. And then Jesus appeared another time with Thomas there where he said to Thomas, who was doubting, he said, look, look at the nail prints in my hand. Look at the, at the, the spear mark in, in my side. Don't be unbelieving, he said to Thomas, but you, you, you should believe. He also appeared to two men on the road to Emmaus. He appeared privately to two people, to Peter, to restore him after Peter's terrible fall, after he had denied Christ. He appeared to, Jesus appeared to his half-brother, James, who was not a believer, even though they had the same mother. I find that interesting. I don't know about you, but how could you grow up with Jesus, raised in the same house, and not be a believer in Jesus? But that's exactly what happened. So what we're going to read in just a moment is the third appearance of Jesus to the disciples, and I want to point out... <clears throat> One other thing about this before we read the text, and it's this. If you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that two of them were not disciples, and two of them, two of them were disciples, and two of them were not part of the original 12. Mark and Luke were not. So those guys did their research, and they wrote their Gospels because there was a lot of erroneous teaching about who Jesus was and what he said. It is believed that Mark received most of his information from Simon Peter, with whom he had done uh, a lot of evangelistic work, and Luke, who was a doctor and a scientist and a historian, all wrapped up in one. He did his research carefully just uh, to write the gospel that he wrote, just as he did for the book of Acts. Now, people who don't believe in Jesus and don't believe in the resurrection will often say, how do you know these guys weren't just collaborating together and making all this stuff up? How do you know that, that, that that's not what happened? Well, that cannot be because they, they differ in their perspectives. And the way they write about his post-resurrection appearances, it's, it's so natural and so very simple that no one would make it up that way. And not only that, but they, they also leave gaps in the information that they give, and, and they leave questions and that wouldn't have been the case if they were making up a lie. They would have tried to make it more complete. No, they wrote it just the way that it actually happened. And many things about his post-resurrection appearances that the Bible gives no answer to. There are times when we're looking for answers or some specificity to details in Scripture, and it's, it's simply not there. For example, Mary saw him. 
And when she realized it was him alone, thinking it was first the gardener, she call, he called her name, and then she said, Rabboni, or, or Rabbi. And she went to grab him or, or cling to him, and, and he said to her, according to the Gospels, tells us this, he said, do not cling to me, Mary, because I have not yet returned to my father. Well, I don't know about you, but that leaves a question in my mind. Why? Why could she not cling to him? We're not told why. Another Gospel narrative tells us that Jesus went through a door and that he appeared in a closed room. But then he sat down to eat with them, and he said, touch me and see. Look, at, examine me, look and see if, this, if I don't have a natural body, just as you do. Well, if he had a natural body that could eat as he was doing, how did he get through that door? How did that happen? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. They just write it the way that it happened, which to me is a sign of sincere witness not someone who's trying to make up a story. And then here's another thing, and I find this so very interesting, and we're going to notice it more in just a second. When Jesus appeared after His resurrection, He had the ability, hear me, to not be recognized by the people that He was with. Now, what we don't know is if it was something covering their eyes, or if His appearance was uh, somehow different than what it would have appeared to others. But the two men who had walked on the road with him to Emmaus, that's a perfect example. They were believers in Jesus, and they were hoping that he would be the one that was with them. And they're talking to him, and they don't know that it's him. But then suddenly, their eyes are open when he gives thanks, and he breaks the bread, and then he disappears. So these are accounts of a supernatural, risen Christ. And we have now the third appearance to the disciples as we read from John chapter 1. Hopefully you're there. Uh, John 20, 21, I'm sorry, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin or Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. Yeah, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. Again, notice, he had this ability to not be recognized. And he calls out, from what we're going to understand in a minute, it's about 100 yards away. He says, hey, guys, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, okay, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't even haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple that Jesus loved, that would be John, and for some reason doesn't want his name to be used here, he said to Peter, John said to Peter, hey, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work. He had taken his clothes off to be able to do the fishing and he jumped into the water and he headed to shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. 
When they got there, they found breakfast was waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. And so Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and, the yet, and yet the net had not torn. Interesting to me that this is a detail that was covered. They knew exactly how many fish had come into the net. Other details we don't have, but this we have because it was such a remarkable thing that had taken place, such a miraculous thing, and so surprising and shocking to them, they had to know how many fish were here. It was so above the norm, and they counted them. That's how they knew, 153 fish. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Lord, add your blessing to the reading of the word. Now, we talked about some of the appearances of Jesus after he was risen from the dead. These appearances happened for about 40 days off and on. We don't know exactly how many. We just know how many times the Bible tells us that it happened. But then it seems like for weeks they would not see him and be left alone to ponder his last appearance and the fact that he had been crucified and risen from the dead. And then he would suddenly appear again. Some appearances we know nothing about. They were private appearances with Peter or his brother James. But these appearances that we do have and that we are told about are full of interest to us because we want to know, first of all, why? Is it recorded in the Bible? We know that all Scripture is given for a purpose. And not only why is it there, but what lesson is there for us today? What is the Lord saying to us today from His Word? So He appeared to them on a beach, 153 fish, and the nets didn't break. So we've got that much of the story. So so what's the point? Yes, it was proof that He was alive, but I want to ask you today, what does this teach us about Jesus, because there are some important things to learn about the Lord in this story. Because in this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, we have certain principles of truth that are forever true. They were done during this 40-day period after which He ascended and He went up to the right hand of the Father. And then He sent the Holy Spirit, which happened in the book of Acts. The Father sent the Son, and the Son did His work and completed His work, and He goes back into heaven, and then He sends the Holy Spirit, who is still doing His work in us today, making Jesus even real to us, even in this service this morning. Bless His name. But certain things about Jesus that happened in this post-resurrection appearance are true even today about the way Jesus works even today and ministers to us about His character and about His nature. Let me just point out a couple of them to you before we are dismissed today. Number one, the Bible says that He was about 100 yards away from them. Now, they have been with Him for three and a half years, so 100 yards away, He yells out to them, hey guys, do you have any fish? Now, wouldn't you have thought that someone that they had been with for three and a half years, even though he's a hundred yards away, about the distance of of a football field, that they would immediately have known it was Jesus? If they had simply looked, they might have recognized him, that they should have been able to tell that that's the master. But no, they didn't recognize him. It wasn't until he told them, yes, 
You've been fishing all night, I know that, and haven't caught anything, so put your net on the right-hand side of the boat. Now, let's be honest. They've been fishing all night. Surely they'd put the net on the left-hand side of the boat, the right-hand side of the boat, the front, the back, and everywhere else, and yet they'd not caught a thing. And now this strange man standing in the distance on the shore tells them, cast your nets on the right of the boat. And when they did that, suddenly the haul was such that they couldn't even hardly contain it. It was incredible how many fish came in. And in that moment, in that moment, John has a light that goes off in his head, and he realizes something, and he says, hey, Pete, it's the Lord. And now they head to the shore. And when they get to the shore, here's the strangest thing that's happening. Jesus is not only there, but he's got his own fish bait going on. A fire, fish, and bread. And Jesus starts serving them breakfast. Not only had he just died on the cross, not only had he been buried and was he risen again, but now he's serving them breakfast. What a wonderful Savior we have, church. And so now he's talking with them, preparing something for them, but they don't know it's him. And I would like to declare to you today, and I want you to listen to me carefully just for the next few minutes, I would like to declare to you today that if we would only take a moment to look back upon our lives and meditate on the goodness of the Lord and to see what the Lord has done in our lives, we would recognize so many things that have happened in your life and in my life where we have been protected and guarded and shielded. It was all done by the risen Savior, even though we didn't recognize it at the time. Church, he's done more for us than we could possibly even give him credit for. We can't even fathom, we can't even understand, we can't even grasp all that he has done for us. Other people might have said, oh, you were lucky to get out of that alive, but I'm telling you, luck had nothing to do with it. It was the risen Savior who was protecting you. It was the Lord Jesus who was working in your life. Or possibly you averted some disaster. We have testimonies so often uh, in the Sunday night prayer service where I, I get testimonies so often of someone who says, I was nearly in a, in a car wreck or, or this happened and that happened, but suddenly, suddenly it swerved another direction and, and utter disaster was, was averted. Maybe you weren't even serving the Lord when this happened, but guess who was working for you even when you weren't serving the Lord? Guess who was protecting you even when you were going your own way and you didn't even know it? Friends, it was Jesus who was working on our behalf. He was protecting. He was saving. He was working in your life. And I would even go so far as to say this. Certain moments when he was working in your life, you've not even clarified it yet in your own mind. I know that's true for me. If you would really look back at some of those circumstances, you would go, oh my goodness. You know, I... Seems like it was at a funeral recently where this thought occurred to me. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this, that one of the first things that we're going to say when we step into the gates of heaven is this. Oh, but of course. Oh, now I see it. Oh, but of course. I had so many why questions on this earth. I didn't get it. I didn't understand why things happened a certain way. I didn't understand it, 
But now, because we only see through a glass darkly, but now I see it because I see face to face. And we recognize it was the risen Savior who was protecting us, guiding us, guarding us, warning us, giving us a warning. No, 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 no. Don't go that way. There's danger there for you. Stopping you from going another direction. Arranging circumstances in such a way to keep you from doing this or going that way. It's the Lord who protects us. It dawned on me recently as I was just reflecting on this at least three times. I should have been dead, church. Some of them I've told you about. But God stepped in and saved my own life. And you'll pardon me just a minute to give personal testimony. One of them was when I was about, I think, about 12 years old. I was with a certain family member who had just gotten a new handgun. And they were proud of this gun, simply wanting to show it to me. No, nothing malicious, nothing untoward going on whatsoever. They just wanted me to see this new handgun they were proud of. And they were absolutely convinced there was not a bullet in it. And I'm standing about right there. And they raised it just to show me, you know, because they were sure there was no bullet in it. And they fired it, and there was one bullet in it. And the bullet grazed right past my ear and put a bullet hole in the wall right behind me. That family member dropped that gun and stood there trembling and shaking in fear for the shock of the fact that they could have just like that ended my life. Who do you think changed the aim of that gun? I could have, should have been dead in that moment. It would have been a total accident, a tragic accident with no malicious thought whatsoever. But I'm telling you, I'm, you'll have a hard time convincing me anything other than the fact that when that gun was raised and it went off, somehow it went just slightly to the right side of my ear and protected me. You've heard me tell about the fact that I was supposed to be on an airplane in Rockford, Illinois in 1975. I'd just gone on staff at a church as a young man. I was a single man at the time. And the Lord, had, they had asked me to go on a trip, uh, on a missions trip, the, the senior pastor had. He said, we need to get better acquainted, and we want to talk about vision for what you're going to be doing here in the church. And he said, why don't you bring in your, uh, it's a Sunday morning, why don't you bring your, your, your suitcase for tonight and stay with my wife and I uh, at the house tonight, and early in the morning, we'll get on the plane. as a small plane. He was a pilot with a pastor and five board members, and you'll go with us, and we'll talk, and we'll work together. I said, Okay. Sunday afternoon, I go home, I pack my bag, I bring it Sunday night to the service, and I'm ready to go home with them as he had asked me to do, and the next morning prepared to go on the trip. And somehow, somehow, in the last minute, we finished the Sunday evening service, and he says, you know, uh, he says, I, I think I've changed my mind. I think we'd be better served if you'd stay here this week and do something else. He had something else in mind he wanted me to do. And I said, yes, sir, that's fine. And so I, you know, I went on home, back to my little small apartment, Monday morning, the pastor and five board members get on a plane in 1975 in Rockford, Illinois, and they fly to South Dakota, and they work on an Indian mission for five days. On Friday, they get on the plane to return home, and that plane crashed and went down right over the hometown of the senior pastor, and all six of them were, were perished, all of them. I was supposed to be on that plane. So how do you think I feel today when I look back over my life and I see the protection of the Lord? I'm hoping in the testimony that I give you, it's reminding you of the times you have averted disaster or the times God's protection has been upon you. He has guided, guarded, and protected you, even when we did not recognize it at the time. And then there was the time in March the 8th of 1993, I was at a hotel in Mobile, Alabama, working on a music project for Integrity Music, late at night. And the short version of the story is, a man and a woman burst their way into my hotel room 
through a strange set of circumstances. I was getting into, going in my room, and she knocks the door open, walks through, and leaves me standing in the door, aghast at what's taking place. And about that time, her male counterpart comes and shoves me on in the room, pulls out the gun, and holds me like this for 10 minutes. I was absolutely convinced that was the end of my life. Absolutely convinced that was going to be the end. Tried to look into the eyes of the man who was, who was holding the gun, thinking maybe I can appeal to him in some way, but he was so stoned on something, there was nobody home. There was nobody there to talk to, no one to appeal to. But I'm telling you this, somehow God in his mercy, in his mercy, when I thought about it, I was one flick away from him pulling that trigger, and it would have been over with for me. But in the mercy of God, he protected me, bless his name, in that moment. And I did not have to end my life at that point. Church, it's Jesus who's saving us. It's Jesus who's protecting us. It's Jesus who is guarding us. There is only one name that can help us, and it's the name that's above every other name. Because we serve a risen Savior today. He's in the world. I know that he's living, whatever men may say, because I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time we need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Oh, how excellent is his, is his name in all the earth. There's a phrase that we use around here quite often. I hear lots of folks, some who have been around and certainly people who have sung this phrase we use it around here quite often. I heard it on Friday night. Someone giving me another testimony right down here. It's two words. If you're new to Bethesda and you hear someone use this phrase, you might think it odd. You might not understand exactly what they're saying. And the phrase is this, but God. But God. So Dan, what does that mean? It simply speaks of God's divine intervention. It means uh, that circumstance that you were in that looked like you were headed to utter disaster. Your bank account was empty. Your body was racked with pain. That marriage was coming to an end. You've lost a job. Something has happened that is not good news to you, but somehow God in his mercy stepped in and he made the divine difference. But God, he can make the divine difference. how many, many times he's worked in our lives and we didn't even know it was him. Oh my goodness, when I think about it. Protecting us, warning us, sending people right in our path. I've had things in the last two years literally drop right in my lap. And it took me a while to realize, oh, the Lord has done that. And we don't even recognize him as the disciples didn't. And you know what, church? Because of that, we don't thank him enough. No, 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 no. We don't praise him enough. If we really understood the majesty of Jesus, if we really understood how actively involved he is in every moment of our life, in every fiber of our being, and how much he really cares, then we would spend every waking moment thanking him and praising him and saying, thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing. If I stop speaking right now and we spent the next hour just praising him, it still wouldn't be enough, church. Come on, let's give praise to the name of the Lord. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. Because you know what, church? It's very simple. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. I said it's all Jesus. I have people sometimes come and 
make a nice statement, all that message, you know, it ministered to me, and thank you for sharing that, you know, and I want to go, if you only knew, (laughs) if you only knew, it's all the Lord. It is nothing of me, it's all the Lord. When I sit down and ask God to give me a word for this fellowship, Jesus, if you don't come, if you don't show up, if you don't give me a word, I've got nothing. In and of myself, I have nothing, but he is everything. He is everything. It's all Jesus. Do you know why you're here today? You're here today. You may, well, yeah, I'm here because it's Easter. No, you're here because it was the Lord who put it in your heart to be here today. You maybe weren't, shall I say it, smart enough to recognize it. Clued in enough to realize it was the Lord guiding and directing. Oh, God, give us a clue. Let us be people who have a clue that it's you working in our lives. And if your heart is warm today, even a a little bit by anything that we're saying, it's only because of Jesus. It's only because of Jesus for every mountain you've brought me over, for every valley you've seen me through, for every blessing. What's the word? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For this I give you praise. And what about those times when you didn't even want to live anymore, church? Come on. Hasn't, ha- hasn't it happened to all of us? So discouraged, so depressed, so down, so overwhelmed by the issues of life. Hasn't that happened to all of us at one time or another? Haven't we thought, how can I go on? I don't even want to go on. It just sure seems like there's a better plan than this somehow. And I'm here to remind you of this, that even in those moments when you've been so down, so depressed, so discouraged, in the darkness of your night, it's been Jesus who has seen you through those dark times because we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today and just the time we need him, he's always there because he lives. Blessed be his name forever. There's another lesson in all this. What were they doing all night long? They were trying to catch fish. And what'd they catch? Nothing. And then a stranger from the beach cries out and says, throw your nets on the right side, and they do that. And the minute John sees all those fish come in, he taps Peter on the shoulder and says, it's the Lord. Now, why? Why, why then? Why, why that sudden realization? Because I'm going to tell you something that John knew. He knows this. Listen to me. Nobody has the answer for what to do in your situation like Jesus. No, 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 you're not hearing me. Nobody, the best of our counselors, and I thank God for every one of them, the best of our pastors, thankful for every one of them, nobody has the answer for your situation like Jesus does. Listen to me, he's alive today. And if he was interested in helping them catch fish, hello? How interested do you think he is in giving direction to you and to me? If he was interested in helping them with 153 fish, how interested? How much does he love you? 
How much does he care for you? How mindful is he of your situation right now on Easter Sunday morning of 2014? And how much does he want to help you and your family and your children? Reminds me of something about Jesus that never changes. I talk with lots of people who come to me about situations they are in. Sometimes they're awkward even sharing them. And sometimes they don't even, they say, you know, our situation is so bad, we were embarrassed to talk about it. And I usually say, you're not going to shock me. There's not much I haven't heard, so go for it. But here's the truth. And I hope you're listening. And I'm almost done. No matter what your situation is, if you get nothing else, get this. No matter what your situation is, there is a next step for you to take that God has for you to get you out of the situation you're currently in. Somebody grab that today. I don't know who you are, but the Lord knows. No matter what your situation is, there is a next step that he's got waiting. Waiting for you. That the Lord has designed He's put his specific hand on it to get you out of the situation you're currently in. Now, do I know what the next step is for you? No, I don't claim to know. But Jesus knows. We think we know. We think we've got it all figured out. But there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. When we try to go our own way. You may be depending upon your own IQ, and it's wonderful if you've got a great one. That's fabulous. But I'm telling you, I meet lots of people who are supposed to be really smart and have a great IQ who can get in the, mo in the most trouble of anybody I've ever seen. They can make some of the, um, okay, soften this, Dan, um, dumbest decisions. <laughs> that was the soft version. You're depending upon your IQ? You think you know more than Jesus does? No, 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 no. Jesus is alive, which means he's interacting with his people. And just like he spoke to them from the beach about what to do about the fish, brothers and sisters, would you listen to me? If he helped them with fish, how much more does he want to help you with the stuff you're facing today? <clears throat> the stuff you're facing with your families, with your finances, or the battles that you are fighting known only to you and God. He knows exactly what you need to do. He knows exactly what you need to change. He knows exactly what you should walk away from and where you should go. But I have to ask you this. What good is it for Jesus being alive if we're not going to listen to him and just do our own thing? What's the point of putting on your pretty Easter bonnet today, coming to church and singing, he's alive, he's alive, if we're not going to interact with him and say, Jesus, would you show me what to do? I'm at my wit's end. I don't know which way to turn. Am I the only one here who has tried to make decisions without the Lord? I'm telling you, the worst, dumbest decisions I've ever made was when I leaned on my own understanding. And I knew the verse in Proverbs that told me not to. The dumbest, most ridiculous life management choices I have ever made was when I thought I had it figured out. And I got this one, Lord. I got it. Disaster every time. 
My appeal to you today is so simple on this Easter. Please do not make a decision without bringing it to Jesus and simply asking him what you should do. Ask the Lord what to do. Because you know what? He will give you some instruction like, throw your net on the right side instead of whatever you've been doing. And when you do what he says and you throw the net on the right side, everything will change. You're going to go from empty to full. You're going to go from depression to joy. You're going to go from defeated to victorious. So we've learned that many times Jesus is doing things, saying things, and dynamically involved even when we don't recognize him or notice that it's him. Oh, God, give us more discernment. Give us more awareness, more sensitivity. Open the eyes of our heart, Jesus. Secondly, we've learned that Jesus is the perfect guidance counselor. He's the perfect person to give us direction for our lives. Please, please, please don't make a decision without bringing it to Jesus. But here's my last thought. Why would they tell the story this way? What were they looking for all night? Fish. What did he finally help them catch? Fish. And yet, when they get to the beach, he already has a fire going. And he's broiling fish. And he has warm bread. And he starts serving them breakfast. Where did he get that fish? Doesn't say. Where did he get the bread? Doesn't say. Who started the fire? Doesn't say. The story just rather naturally tells us. that what they were searching for, he had already prepared for them. And he said, just sit down and I'll serve you what you need. Dear one, question is so simple to you today. What is it that you need? Whatever you need, here's what I know to be true. Jesus has already prepared it for you. He's already prepared it for you. He's already got it on the fire. And he's got warm bread to go with it. And he just wants you to sit down so he can feed you. Oh, Pastor Dan, you're making this so simple. It is simple. Except you become as a little child, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is it that you need today? Is it joy? Has somehow the rub of life and the stuff of life, even as a Christian, robbed you of your joy? Here's what I've got news for you today. It's the good news. He's already got it on the fire for you. Is it peace that you're in need of today? Somehow has the tumult of your life, the circumstances of your life, turned so upside down? that you have totally lost your peace, even understanding that he gives peace that is beyond our understanding. He's got it on the fire for you. And he's got warm bread to go with it. What are you looking for? Are you worried about a child? He can fix that child. You need a job? 
He's Jehovah Jireh, the one who can provide. He's got it on the fire, and he's got warm bread to go with it. What you have been hunting and searching for, he's already got it on the fire. And he's going to hand it to you if you will just sit down with him. After rising from the dead, here he is serving them. Oh, what a magnificent Jesus we have. You went through all of that, laid down your life, crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb, rose on the third day, and now you want to serve me? Are you kidding me? What a wonderful Jesus we have. I'm simply saying this to you. My appeal to you today is this. Whatever it is you have need of, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. For there is no other name with the power, with the provision, or with the majesty that we find in the name of Jesus. For his is the name that's above every other name. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. Come on, stand and give him praise today, church. Bless the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name. I just wish you would lift your hands and out of your mouth, shout your praise and your thanksgiving to him for this Easter. Come on, church, bless the name of the Lord. Let's fill this room with your praise.